This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ. Thank you that we'll minister the Word of God and it will penetrate the hearts and minds of each person here. And it will stir us up in these last days. Let us recognize the hour in which we live. Let us recognize our condition in our walk with you. And realize that very soon that trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That day is fast approaching. Because of that, Lord, we choose to live ready and stay ready and not be distracted or torn apart by other things that would come against us. And we know we can't allow into our lives. So help us to minister the word. Help us to give understanding and insight tonight. In the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Powerful verse. One of my favorites. You probably have it underlined in your Bible. If you don't, you should. Hebrews 8, 6. Say amen if I know you're there. Now, you gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not used to having a, a the, the script. I don't have a problem with it, but I'm not used to it being up there. Cause I keep waiting for you all to look at, look down. Nobody looks down. Everybody looks up. And so I thought, well, okay. Maybe they don't want to read their Bibles with me. And then it finally, after about halfway through the sermon, it, it clicked on. They are looking at the verse. It's just the one behind my head. And so. Forgive me for keeping the pestering you about. Are you there? Are you there? We're looking at it. All right. I get it. Hebrews 8, 6. Let's go. But now hath he, meaning Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Notice the word better. Better. Everybody say better. I don't know about you, but I like it when things are going better for me. Better's good. You ever had a car? I mean, I've had some cars that I kept and drove and drove and drove and drove and just kept driving. You know what I mean? And, uh, and kept going and drove them some more. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, and then after a while, you know, it's like, I got, I got all that we're going to get out of this car. We're, we're pretty much done with this one. Now, when I'm out looking for another one, I want a better. I'm not going, hey, let's see if we can get a worse car than we have now. Nobody does that. What kind of, you know, right? Right. If you, if you need, if you need, you got a new job and they want you to dress a certain way to work. You go out, you don't look, I've got to find something worse than I've got. I got, I'm looking for something ugly, nasty, tore up. No, you want something better. Walking with Jesus is designed to make your life better. Living according to the covenant or the word of God always takes you and increases you. I have been in church my entire life and I have watched as people, listen very carefully to me, as people have served Jesus Christ, their life continued to go up. They were raised. They were raised intellectually. They were raised financially. It seemed like everything about them, they began to walk at a higher level of life than walk previous to knowing Jesus, because Jesus makes things better if you'll walk with him. If you just have a religious experience or a church experience, you may stay the same. But if you're truly born again and you begin to walk in the better covenant on these better promises, your life will get better. So how many would agree with me? We like better, better. 
We like better, better. This is going to be a better, better sermon. All right. Back to the book of John with me now. Book of John, chapter five. Thank God for the word. John, chapter five. And I'm going to start. Let me get there here. John 5, I'm going to start around, well, let's just start in verse 1, I guess, here. Let me find it. Right in between here. John 5, verse 1. Here we go. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, pause just for a second. This is not my message tonight, but I'm going to give you a little teaching. Why didn't he, why did he ask, will you be made whole? When the guy's sitting there waiting for an opportunity to be made whole. You want to know why? Because to receive from Jesus, you will always have to use your mouth to release your faith. Will you be made whole? But watch what happens with this guy. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. So he's using all his excuses for why nothing's working. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, Well, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. That's King James where he had no clue. Had no idea who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Watch. Watch. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Follow Jesus, it's a better Go operate in sin, things get worse. Follow Jesus, things get better. Operate in sin, things get worse. Follow Jesus, things get better. Get into sin and things will get worse. Questions? The Bible makes that so very clear. And yet I am living in these last days with the rest of you, scratching my head with how many people are beginning to. I'm talking Christian people 
begin to operate and function in sinful activities that's destroying their lives. I've seen them lose their ministries, lose their business, lose their marriage, lose their family, lose their money, lose their health. And yet the, and yet the Lord Jesus made it very clear. Follow me, you get a better life. Keep messing around in sin, it's going to get worse for you. I mean, it's, it's like, how do you not get that? How are we confused about this? Sin will kill you. Sin has a payday. I just said something important for you to understand. Sin has a payday and your payday will come. Sin always has a payday and your payday will come. The wages of sin or what you'll get paid for sinning is what? Death. It'll always bring death and destruction to some area of your life. Well, I sinned and I didn't die. You missed it by a million miles. You don't realize all sorts of things are corrupting all around you while you're operating in sin. Just because you didn't stop breathing and you didn't instantly drop dead didn't mean death wasn't at work and that payday wasn't working towards you. It was coming your direction. Sin is not your friend. It's your enemy. And anybody that's trying to help you think that it's okay to sin, it's okay to get into wrongdoing, it's okay to be a liar, it's okay to be a gossip, it's okay to steal from work, especially since they don't pay you enough anyway. Sin will make things worse. Living for Jesus will make things better. Go to the book of Genesis, please, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Hmm. Verse 1. So, serve Jesus, it's... Come on, I'm going to get you all with me now. Serve Jesus, do the word, it gets Operate in sin and worse. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent, everybody say serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, yea, has God said you shall not eat of it? Excuse me. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. The serpent said, The wages of sin is not death. It's basically what he's saying. No, what God says is not true. This is not going to hurt you. Other people do it. Other Christians do it. This will not hurt you. This is not going to be a big deal at all. It won't hurt you. You still working with me here? Let's keep reading. For again, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, Then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Huh. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And the world's been a mess ever since. That's my summation. So what did the serpent say? What did the devil say? They see, the devil's working through a serpent here. Just taste it. Just taste it. Come on. Just watch this. Just watch this. Just take a look. What could it hurt to watch this? What could it really hurt to go there? What could it really hurt to hang out with these people? What could it really hurt to smoke a little of this? To drink a little of that? To play around with a little of this? What could it hurt? Just taste it. Because what God said about you will surely die isn't even true. But it was true. I've known no one who got involved in sin that life got better. I've known nobody that came to me and said, you know, let me give you my testimony. As soon as we started committing adultery, my life went up. I increased. Now, you lost everything. Everything started unraveling. You know, as soon as I started stealing, it seems like my life's gotten better. Really? You're a liar. Now you've added lying to your sin list. Are y'all listening to me here? Nobody's life ever got better by sinning. It always got worse. And one of the things I've found is a theme throughout Scripture. You'll find it from Genesis to Revelation. That both Satan and sin are always compared to a snake. Or to a serpent. Now, some of you already know this, but I actually grew up on the desert. Nothing about this place is new to me. I'm talking about this place where you live. I didn't grow up in Barstow, but I didn't grow up very far from here. It's where I was born and raised. So desert living, I get it. Totally understand it. Because I grew up in the desert, I've seen my share of snakes. And not all of them friendly ones. And, you know, I know everybody's got their own deal, but I've never liked them. You know, I know some people, you know, I mean, they don't want to mess with rattlesnakes, of course, but other snakes, they don't seem to mind. Not me, man. I'm just not a snake person. Um, Do what you want to do, but I'm not interested in your snakes, man. And growing up as a kid, you know, there would be friends of mine or their parents had snakes in their house, you know. And... uh, uh, from varying varieties, you know. Most of them were smart enough not to have venomous snakes. Not all, but most, I think. Um, but, you know, there, not every snake has a venom. But all snakes bite. You mess with them long enough, they're going to bite. Now, not all of them have enough mm, to do much. Uh, but then there's some that can really pack a punch. They may not kill you when they bite you, but you'll know you got bit. And then there are restrictors or constrictors, like a a boa constrictor or a python. They bite too, by the way. They don't have a venom, but they love to hug. They're really generous with giving hugs. And so, 
I've known a lot of people who had snakes. How many's ever known people who had a pet snake? Raise your hand if you ever know, or maybe you have. A, can I just help you with something? You don't, and neither did they. They did not have, or do not have, a pet snake. You have a captive snake. Do you guys have like a pet store around here? I mean, you know, I live in L.A., so we got PetSmart, Pet. Okay, well, so there's pet stores. Now, here's what, here's my challenge. Go and look on the snake aisle for, for like a snake leash. <laughs> so you can walk your snake. Oh, that's my pet. We're just out taking a, a walk down the neighborhood. You're not going to find a snake leash. There's no snake toys. I'm trying to teach my snake to fetch. Get the ball. Stay. Stay. Let me tell you what a snake will do. A snake will do whatever it wants to do. Nobody's tamed it. Nobody's trained it. You put it in something and it will work day and night. You leave the least little bit of an opportunity and it's getting out of whatever you put it in. It wants out. It's not your friend. It is not compassionate toward you. It does not love you. It's not glad it's in your house for the holidays. It wants free of you. And if it gets an opportunity, it will bite you. Because it doesn't like you. The snake is not your friend. Now, my son, my youngest son just got married in April. But before that, he, you know, he, obviously he's lived with us. He was 28 when he got married here a few months ago. So he, he lived, uh, in our home and, uh, we have a two story home and, and, uh, straight up, let's just, let's just tell it straight up. If he gets the CD, I don't know what to do about it. But the living room and the TV in the living room, he didn't own it, but he owned it. You know what I mean? It was like, it's like that was his arena. That was his world. And so, so he was always re- between Los Angeles Kings hockey, uh, and a few other of his favorite shows. He liked these animal shows. So it was not unusual to go downstairs. And if you turned on the TV, it was on Animal Planet. So I went downstairs one day. He wasn't there and, uh, I turned it on. And it was coming to the conclusion of a show. There's maybe 10 to 15 minutes left on the show. And what this show was about was about people who own snakes in their home. And so they were telling these various stories about the people who own snakes and things that took place. And they've got home video footage of them with their snakes. And so it's a different scenario. None of it ever turns out positive. So it goes to this one situation where this guy has had a python, a huge python, in his home. It has been his pet now for a couple of years. So they're doing a home video. Stick with me now. They're doing a home video of this man with this huge python around his neck. It's his friend. It's his pet. And he's got a teenage relative that he is trying to explain on this home video that it will not hurt you. It is a pet snake. I've had it for a couple of years. It's not going to be a problem. 
And so he is going to transfer it from the, his neck and back and put it over here on this teenage relative who was not quite convinced that it was a good idea, but was standing there as like a big trooper anyway, you know. Well, as the transfer begins, you with me now? As the man who has his pet snake on his neck begins to lift the snake off to make the pass, the python comes around and bites into the man's face. It was quite... They have a big, large head and a big, large mouth. And it got his face good. I mean good. And <laughs> let me just say, they, they replayed it several times. And so the first few times, you know, you're watching the snake bite in the face. But then I watched the teenage boy. He was gone, man. He was not standing there waiting for the pass. I'm not waiting for the transfer. This guy's pet just bit him in the face. And there's blood coming down his face. It was his pet snake. Pat, it won't hurt you. And here we're now watching on TV the bite. Just like most people are with their sin. It won't bite me. I can handle this. This is not going to hurt me. You may be different. This stuff may bother you. You're probably different than I am. Sure you are. Another story is told. This one also is, uh, I think it was a python, but I'm not sure. These people had this massive aquarium in their house for this python. And they've got the, the screen on top, you know, and the big boulders on the all four corners and stuff. And it's supposed to help keep the screen down so the snake can't push up from it. And uh, they were having a sleepover. And I'm, I maybe, maybe I better not tell this story quite. I think I'll not tell this story. It didn't turn out well. Because they didn't put the screen on well. And the python doesn't know the difference between your nephew and something out in the field somewhere. But it was a pet, right? Just a pet. Well, that program ends. And I don't know, you know how like they got Shark Week? I don't know if it was Snake Day on Animal Planet or what. But that show went off and they start at, you know, this new show's coming on. It's also a snake show. And now I'm intrigued by this stuff. And so I'm kind of, I've got to watch this, see what else these idiots are doing with these snakes, you know. And so this next program begins, and it's all about Florida and how all these people have bought boa constrictors and pythons and all these snakes that are just little when they get them. And then they grow and outgrow their house and they decide, well, we'll just take it out somewhere and let it go. And because I, this is not a health class, I do not want to give the full uh, explanation, but it seems that they're finding one another and uh, they are multiplying. And it's becoming a major thing. They've already got the gators down there, but now they've got boas and pythons on, you know, steroids down there, multiplying rapidly. And they're getting into people's houses. They're getting into their yards. You all with me now? 
So this particular episode was showing how they deal with these big snakes when they get in people's yards. So the camera crew is now following this guy who is a snake expert. He must be because he had a truck with a sign, business sign on it, and the camera crew is following him around. That must make you a snake expert of some variety. And so they pull up on a yard in Florida, the front yard, and they have a, I, I believe it was a 13 foot, it could have been a little longer than that, it just looked huge even on TV. Burmese python crawling around the front yard of these people's house. Okay, so the expert and his assistants, assistant get out of the truck. They're mic'd, and so the expert begins to whisper an explanation of what he's going to do. Now, I thought it interesting. I know they whisper at golf games, you know, so that you don't interrupt the guy. But I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if these snakes have been in, around here long enough they've learned English, and now they'll know your, they'll know your moves, so we're going to whisper. But he began to whisper, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to move around to the back side of the snake. You'll be able to see me when I do this. He said, what I'll do when I get over there, I'll go slow so I don't startle the snake. He said, I will then lunge and with my right hand, I will catch the snake right behind its head so I can immobilize his head. And then I'll use my left hand to grab underneath him at that moment. My assistant will come, in other words, and take the other half of the snake, and we're going to take it and put it in the cage in the back of the truck. Pretty easy plan, but I got to thinking, I'm going to watch. Because I know I'm not a snake expert, and I thought, well, this guy's one. He's got a truck and a sign and a cage in the back, so, and a TV show. I'm going to watch. So I did. He made his slow move, and he's whispering, you know, quietly into the mic, kind of telling us how he's moving and what he's doing. And he gets around to the side of the snake. So now we have a full view of this man about to make his lunge, and then he does it. He makes his move. And it's like a flash, man. He's down. He's gone that snake. He has his hand there, except... He didn't get his hand close enough to the head. And so that snake turned and bit right here. Now, if you know anything about pythons, for example, their teeth all are angled this way. So in other words, to pull out, you have to rip this way. He couldn't pull out. So what does a python do? It loves to hug. It loves to hug. So in an instant, the rap began on this man. You could see it in the expert's face. Things were not going well. Because he was, he is now, he was on a knee and now he is being, the weight of this thing coiling on him has pulled him down. He's laying on the ground trying to get his arm out, his hand out. Don't mean to get gross, but you know. When you get bit, other stuff, you know, so, I mean, you can see that. And I'm thinking, this dude, this ain't going good. The assistant 
jumps in. Cannot get... I mean, he's working to unwind him before he does the squeeze. Uh, 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 That wasn't turning out right. So he goes to the head of the snake and does everything he can to pull it open. And he can't get the guy's arm out. So suddenly, you see the crew. Well, you don't see him at first. You see the camera. The cameras. There's two cameras. We're set on the front lawn. You can still see what's happening, but their cameras are now in the grass. You see the big, long boom mic laid down, and the three crew are now over there trying to get this man free. They eventually get the man free, and we go to commercial. They didn't do so well with their expertise with snakes. And when I watched those two episodes of those situations, I couldn't help but think, That's exactly the way it is when people I have pastored or people I've come uh, uh, in contact with and in my traveling ministry told me that sin didn't bother them. And this thing is not going to mess with me and watching porn is not going to hurt me. Cheating God and tithes and offerings is not going to hurt me. Just like the expert. I mean, he had the right plan, it's just it wasn't executed right, and he was humiliated on TV, and he had quite a large, bloody uh, hand there. I don't know how many people I've watched their lives unravel because they kept playing with snakes, and I'm not talking about the ones who crawl in the desert now. I'm talking about the sin variety. I'm talking about the variety that... You think it's okay to act this way. You think it's okay to gossip. You gossip about the boss. You gossip about co-workers. I'm preaching better than you're amening right here. You're playing with snakes. You didn't even know it. You hear me now? You inviting stuff into your house? Let me just tell you this. If the UPS truck pulled up in front of my house tomorrow and had a box, you know, live rattlesnakes, I'm not signing no, you take it. No, they're not. What's got your name on? I don't care whose name is on it. It's not coming in my house. You'd know that. You'd know to do that, right? How come? How come when it crosses your TV screen, you don't know that don't belong in my house? Come on, I'm helping people here today. Sin's deadly. Now. I was born and raised over here in Ridgecrest. And it wasn't, it was only about a year ago that one of my sisters, uh, moved away from there. And she posted something on Facebook that this little family living there in Ridgecrest, they had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And they had in the backyard, you know, the little plastic, uh, forts and houses and all that stuff. And she went out in the backyard. The mother with the kids were going to play, and they were going to play in their forts and houses and all that stuff. And she began to hear the, you know, the band began to play, you know, the maracas or whatever, the rattlesnake. And she knew that sign is not, a, is not a positive sign. She grabbed those kids and went inside and called the police who then, you know, had folks come out. They found 18 rattlesnakes. 18 rattlesnakes inside of that little playhouse thing. 18. Now, can I just be honest with you? 
If I had 18 of them in my backyard and they said, but we found 17. Oh, well, that's awesome. Now you stay out there till you find 18. Huh? I'm no happier about going out and having a backyard barbecue knowing there's only one rattlesnake in my backyard. Then how come Christians allow... Well, yeah, but I don't do that. I do these other things I know the Bible teaches against. But at least I don't do that. Oh, so you cleaned out most of the rattlesnakes. But you're okay with this other one living in your house. I don't think so, boys and girls. Am I helping anybody in church today? you got to decide whether you want to play with snakes or you want to walk with Jesus Christ. Because when you walk with Jesus Christ, things get better. You play with snakes, you'll eventually get bit. And if it's a venomous snake, you're going to have something coursing through your system that you will regret the rest of your life. How many people, how many people were told, all I got, you know, just one sip, just one sip. And then a year goes by and three years go by and five years go by and now they're alcoholics. They'll give up their week's pay. They won't feed their babies so they can have another drink. It all, it all happened with a taste. Just a taste. It's all, all, just taste. You played with a snake and you got bit. Now it's venom is coursing through you. That wickedness is coursing through you. It's costing you your family. Come on, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I didn't come here to make you feel bad. But you don't have a pet snake any more than you have a pet sin. It's a destroyer. And if, if, it, if it's not venomous and it's a constrictor, it will squeeze the life out of you. Do you really want to keep playing with this stuff? Do you really want to keep dancing around with stuff that you know the Spirit of the Lord has dealt with you over and over and over and over again about? Getting it out of your life. Stop messing with this stuff. Stop saying that. Stop listening to that. You know, when you see Christians get into stuff, you say, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They fed on stuff for a while and got until they got so comfortable with it that its poison and pollution became normal to them. And then it created in them an appetite. You watch pornography, it won't be long and you'll try to act out what you've been watching. I don't care who you are. And it will kill you. Sexual sin will bring you to the bottom. Sex is is a beautiful thing ordained from God within a marriage covenant. And a marriage covenant, according to Scripture, is between one man and one woman. Not whomsoever will. But you feed on stuff. You sow it into your heart until all of a sudden you start acting out stuff. It'll be on your thinking all the time. It's amazing that some of this garbage that's on TV today, so many Christians feed on it day and night. They'll watch adultery. They'll watch every form of wickedness, perversion, and that's their entertainment. Folks, find something else to be entertained with. Amen. Fine. I told my congregation, when's the last time you read a book? 
Learn a foreign language. Use your brain for something. Instead of just sit there and stare at that stupid tube until your eyeballs fall out. Keep up with the Kardashians. Like there's somebody you want to keep up with. Seriously? Christians, see? Are you, are you hearing me? I'm talking about Christians. They'll feed on those idiot soap operas. Are y'all listening to me? That stuff is nasty. Sin will kill you. It will make things worse and worse and worse. See, what I wanted to do was every time the devil tempts you to get into sin, I wanted you to see a snake. I wanted you to have a mental image of that guy getting it right in the face. His pet. His pet. I wanted you to have a mental image of what it did to that man's nephew. Because it will destroy your family. Sin will destroy your family. Then there was another story. don't know why it's Python night, but it must have been Python night. This couple has a python. But they let it slither through their house. They don't keep it in a... In the aquarium, it just slithers and goes where it wants. Well, one morning they wake up and the snake is laying between them in the bed. It's a little bit weird to have a snake and its head is by their head. Lest you think it's a pet snake just cuddling up. I don't think so. Next morning, they wake up. Same thing. So, he had to go, the man had to go to uh, the veterinarian, and he was getting some feed and different things for his pet python. And just happened to mention what had happened the last two nights with them waking up with this python between them. And the vet said, you get that snake out of your house now. He said, why? It's, it's been our pet for a long time. He said, that snake is now monitoring which one of you has the, you know, the heart rate is the lowest. Easiest to take down. Sin will monitor you too. <laughs> I wonder how many more sin buttons they'll have to push before their career explodes. How many more women you get to flirt with at work before all of a sudden it gets to be known to everybody that that's what you do at work and you lose your job, your career, your reputation, and your family. But it's not hurting you. That's a pet sin. But you don't have a pet sin. And you don't have a pet snake. Am I helping anybody? You still glad you came to church? Psalm 1. I'm almost through. Psalm 1.
Psalm 1 and verse 1. Better, worse. You choose. You choose. Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stop. Look up here. Walk means you're making progress. You're going somewhere. Moving. But suddenly, because the Bible talks about the Christian walk. Talks about we walk by faith, not by sight. So we progress in the things of God. But watch what happened here in verse 1 of Psalm 1. This individual began to change who he walked with. You following? He began to walk now in the, in the counsel or with the advice of ungodly people. You know, if my husband was doing that, I'll tell you what I'd do. See, you don't get your counsel from ungodly people. About what you should do with your kids or what you should do with your wife or what you should do with your husband or what you should do with your finances. What would an ungodly person know what a believer needs to be doing? They began to walk in different counsel, which means they had to walk in a different path. But keep, keep reading. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners. Watch. Wasn't, weren't we walking? Now what are we doing? Now we've come to a standstill. Once you compromise, you go from making moves with God to all of a sudden you making moves down the wrong path, which brings you to a place where you have new associations and it brings you to a standstill. What's the next line? And then he does what? Sits in the seat of the scornful. Let me tell you something. You don't sit places you're not comfortable. So the fact that you're willing to go from walking to standing to sitting means that you've become so distracted and you've consumed this and accepted it as the norm for you that you've sat down among them, become like them. It's a shame that we have many people in the church who you can no longer tell from the world. I had a job for a while that took me to various places, but one of them would be to a mortuary and I would pick up some things and drop off some things in delivery work. And uh, uh, one day I go to the back and there is someone laying on a gurney. And uh, from where I was by the door, I actually thought, It was one of the employees just goofing off, just laying there, you know, relaxing for a little while. Until I realized, "Mm, no, that's that's somebody that's no longer with us, laying there on the gurney. And it hit me that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a sleeping saint and a dead sinner. Y'all with me now? Really difficult when you got people who are supposed to be walking with God who have fallen asleep and laid down on the job and are no longer watching over their life and no longer watching what they hear, what they see, where they go, who they go with. Before long, they look just like a dead sinner. 
Y'all getting anything out of this? Got too many Christians snake bit because they've played with sin. Pretty much out of time here tonight, but I want to tell you this. Throughout Scripture, especially even in the New Testament, when it deals with receiving communion, it tells us where to examine ourselves. Whether you realize it or not, it's biblical to take an examination of your own life continually. Can I say it another way? To judge yourself. To judge yourself. See, if you judge yourself and you deal with yourself and you repent, you get stuff straightened out, you won't be judged. You play it off, blow it off, it's no big deal, it's just my pet sin, my pet snake. There'll come a day that judgment will come and that venom will get you or the squeeze will get you. But either way you lose. Either way you lose. So would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 